Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I am very excited today to be joined by Lindsay Groper, president of Blast Media. Welcome to the show. Hey, Garrett. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And now, before we just dive into it, I think maybe we should set the stage a little bit with your perspective on PR, and then we can get very specific. But I think at a high level, I've had the blessing of working with many marketers who sometimes think that press releases and letting Cision or I don't even know how to say their name. Is that Cision? Is that right? Oh, you got it. Okay. Yeah. They're like, you know, we just did press releases on Cision and, you know, we just kind of do press releases. Are press releases even a viable part of PR and like at a high level, what is PR to you for B2B SaaS? Yeah. Thank you for asking the question. It's interesting because PR to me is perception relations and PR has a perception problem in and of itself in that most still today, most marketers and CEOs still think of PR as press releases and as strictly a news driven function. And that is a it's an old school and lazy way to think about PR. PR's biggest value is right or wrong, it can be a perception equalizer. So if your brand can't compete with larger competitors on logos or marketing budget alone, PR can create a feeling, it can enhance credibility and trust, it can be an equalizer. And so in that, in that vein, it is not a press release driven strategy. Um, there is part of a PR strategy that involves press releases, of course, but it's so much more than that. And any agency that tells you, well, we didn't have a, we didn't have much coverage this month because you guys didn't have a lot of talk about like that's bullshit and that's lazy and you should certainly be expecting more. Yeah. Cause I think the goal, right. Of the PR organization is they need to help companies that don't know how to tell their story to their specific audience to create one. And I think the press release is kind of the final check mark, or let's say of a checklist is, did we do the press release? But the truth is, right, it's like, it's not like journalists are like, oh my God, Whew, I wonder what's coming in hot on the press release today. Like, right, like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a relationship driven industry where you need to partner with a PR shop that has good relationships with the channels and mediums you want coverage on. It's not like I can, like, I know this, right? I can't just go tell everyone, directive lands. Invicti, and then all of a sudden, Ad Week's going to put me on the cover, right? right? Like, I, it's not really how it works, correct? You're right. And relationships do matter. I will say that they matter not as much as they used to. When we started Blast Media 16 years ago, there was a lot of in-person meetings. Newsrooms were fairly large. There wasn't a lot of attrition. And newsrooms look fundamentally different today. But even your best relationships will only take you so far. So despite our people having a great relationship with the Wall Street Journal, with TechCrunch, if we don't bring them something interesting and know how to formulate a story that tells the why behind the what of the news, those best relationships aren't going to do you a solid and write a story that's meaningless or has no value to their audience. So it, the relationship helps. But you also have to understand what I believe is a lost art of storytelling in order to get those stories told. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Now, let's get a little deeper, though. Okay, there's two concepts I think are really, really broken right now in the startup ecosystem. Um, and the first one, though, 
is this concept that PR is telling people about the money you raised. So um, <laughs> I know it's like, I, I just, as a marketer, I absolutely hate the concept that like your blog or your website is like, we just raised a series C from Sequoia. And that is somehow something your customer gives a crap about. So like, like why, where's this obsession with talking about money in SaaS when I guarantee your customer is not like, oh, goody. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what is up with that weird angle that I just constantly see going yeah. on right now? Yeah. For the life of a, a scale up or a startup, funding is a, it's a big deal for them. They've worked very hard. They, it's validation. It, it matters. It matters certainly more to them internally than it does externally. Um, and that's oftentimes, regardless of the announcement, the biggest mistake that companies often make is assuming people care about you. They don't. Yeah. And you have to give them a reason to. So it, it, my opinion is funding announcements really help get in front of additional investors for the next funding announcement. Yeah, that's what they're so, all about. It's all about the money. <laughs> right. Can so, we take another angle though? Is my question, like my honest question, is there another angle to take with funding announcements that could maybe drive customer value? Because I get why they do it. You get easy coverage. TechCrunch is going to pick you up every time. Alex, whatever his name is going to write about you. Like you're going to get your like the quick hits, right? Yeah. But what about the fact that like, is there a way to parlay this into something that's less me, 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 brag, brag, brag. Cause I think it's yeah. such a, like, it, like, how do you think they could do? I'm, I know why we have to do it. What's a better way to do it in your mind? Yeah. So if we're, if we're just looking at a funding announcement, you have yeah. to look at who they're trying to influence. Investors is certainly one to your point. Customers, not so much. I mean, it, it might feel good. Like, Oh, look, the vendor that I work with is gaining momentum. Oh, cool. Yeah. But the other thing where the other two audiences where funding announcements can add value is on the employee side. And that's both creating goodwill amongst current team members, as well as on the talent acquisition side. Um, you'll oftentimes that funding, will, it will say it is going towards uh, hiring. And so that is something good for potential talents to see, as well as potential partners who may not, who may have were on the fence of, is this going to be a good partner for us or not? Or maybe we're like, wow, they say they're going to pour more money into development so that we can have this integration. Not sure. And then the funding is the way way forward with that. Mm -hmm. So there are, are other audiences that SaaS marketers take into consideration or should be taking into consideration of when it comes to that a PR strategy specifically around funding. But one thing I will caution is the funding is the what and Journalists are getting literally dozens of what's a day. Yeah. The, the what is the number? You raise money. Who cares? Yeah. It, it truly, unless you have a well-known investor or individual that's behind it that carries weight in and of itself, sometimes that's the story. Um, or if you know we have a client that Andreessen invested in their seed and series A, which they never do, and it was a three-time investor, that's a story too. Um, the... It's figuring out the who cares behind the funding that's going to get us an actual story that matters. So has there been a lot of money poured into the category recently? Has there been a category leader that filed for IPO? What does it mean for the future? Is there is it challenging the current definition of a category um, if the company is looking to move into a different category? So a lot of different things to consider. But the the number and the fact that you raised is the what and no one really cares about the what you have to dive in to figure out the why to get a meaningful story along with that. Yeah, it needs an angle, right? Yeah. So 
Now, okay, it is sour and sass. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Although I just, before we hopped on, I watched the episode you did with Drew Beachler, the um, head of marketing at High Alpha, the Venture Studio. His wife works with us. And he, I, I kept fast forwarding through, waiting for some reaction. It was he very the only person who liked it. I'm being serious. Like that guy loves his sour cat. What I'm am I? Do I start with the warheads? I'm going toxic waste. Oh, because I think all my warheads melted. I left them like too close to my window. Should I be starting with the toxic waste? Yeah, go for it. Oh, okay. Not. okay. They're all yeah. equally bad. And here's the thing, Lindsay. The first one is okay. It's shocking, but it's okay. The second one just builds on it, and that's when it gets nasty. Is it? It's that second one. Well, and I asked Garrett if I was like cursing it tends to be my natural reaction to stuff and he was like i mean if if it comes out but like let's be mindful of it so i'm gonna be mindful <laughs> of it as we're talking and i'm eating this i realized i already said uh bs once so oh it's terrible i have oh gosh Wait, I got on... you do this all the time how's it so bad for you i hate sour candy i don't eat candy oh, I, I, like just did this. Candy. I just did this because it sounded good i didn't really think through that i was gonna be doing this every day i'm like on my 60th episode I like sour candy. Okay, mm. I'm back. I'm good. Um, Not, oh, God. What's your take on books? <laughs> Say that again. I think books. Like, what's your take on books? I think books might be the best form of PR. Because when I'm going through all the companies that are constantly in the media and have this narrative, whether it's on Twitter or LinkedIn, like, they're, they have a story that is consistent story. I try to unpack like what I call like, let's say foundational pieces. And if you look at all the people that have narratives, they also all have books. Yeah. I mean, like Ray Dalio, if you're an investment, he's always got someone covering him. He wrote principles. If you're in bootstrap SaaS, they're always covering Basecamp. They wrote books. If you're in high growth SaaS, people, people talk about drift. They wrote books. I mean, in general, it seems to me that books and PR slash story narrative coverage are like one and the same. What's your take on that? Yeah. Books is just another form of thought leadership. And it always has been. But we have, I mean, I feel like everyone is writing a book now. No, no matter your title, there's people working on books. And so we have many clients who release books while we're working together. And are we book publicists? We're not. Um, will we schedule book tours? Not our sweet spot. However... Typically, that book is a long version of what we've been pitching and how we've been positioning this individual as a thought leader. And so we're able to use the book as another way to point back towards those thought leadership pillars and pull out specific sections of the book or paragraphs or quotes within the book and leverage those and use those in other ways. But it's just another form of thought leadership. Um, and we have so many clients writing books. It is insane. Um, have you, you find, the, you find writing... the book concept slightly comical, Lindsay? I can tell. So let's let's pull apart. What's the difference between a book that works and a book that doesn't in your mind? Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I, I can sense well, a little bit of you being like, yeah, it's great. Thanks, honey. Great great job on that book. But like, what, like what does it have to be to matter? You know let's, I mean? assume, <laughs> let's assume it is uh, if we're comparing – Authors that no one's ever heard of. Okay, yes. Right, so there's many of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, certainly who you were before the book came out. If you are an evangelist in something and tend to have people who view you as an influencer, 
And this isn't like, you know, Jay Leno on the street, you ask a hundred people, they're all going to say, never heard that person. I'm not talking that level of influence, but within a category, or it could be AI ops, for example, something highly specific. And exhilarating. Super sexy. Love AI ops. But if you (laughs) build a community already that you as an influencer, your book will likely do well because those people want more of you. If you are a CMO at a random SaaS company that hasn't really been an evangelist of a specific problem or, you know, position as a thought leader, it's, it's not going to do as well because people don't have already a connection with you and don't want more of what you have to say. Let's unpack that. Cause I, I, I I completely agree with you. And I think it's like chicken or the egg concept that I struggle with in PR, which is, you need people to already care about you for PR to work, yet without people caring about you, you kind of need PR. Sure. And so it's like this, like, in other words, like, I'm sure when you worked with Moz, like, I know you worked with Moz, yeah. working with Moz is like probably the world's easiest thing in the world because you just have mm-hmm. Rand be Rand compared to trying to do the same thing for SEM Rush, right? Like, that isn't going to work the same. Like, you can do a story for Moz, get it picked up because you have a narrative, you have distribution, you've got yeah. Rand Fishkin to tweet it, and it gets 100 retweets. It works. All of a sudden, everything Rand does for PR works. Doing PR for Drift works. Because if Dave Gerhardt tweets something, it does well. But he has a community. So if you're trying to be a SaaS company and you want to get a buzz, you want to be the next fast or the next whatever, right? Like there's some companies that are just good at the game of buzz. Do you start to do the content first or do you build the audience first? Like how do you go about getting from no one caring about you to someone caring about you as a SaaS company in your mind? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll answer this in the context of my world. So I'll answer it in the context of PR because there's yeah. a lot of other ways to address that that are outside of, of our discipline. The interesting thing with PR, and when I look at a, across our client base and again, our client base, just for sake of any example I give, all B2B SaaS company of various sizes. We have well-funded Series A companies all the way up to publicly traded, everything in between. Yeah. And Moz is a perfect example. Uh, Moz, when we, start, when we started working with Moz a few years ago, um, Rand had just exited Sarah Bird, new CEO in. Uh, Sarah wasn't known as a thought leader, but Moz was already the, the category leader. So we had the brand weight behind it. And and so that works. Um, But what we've typically found is for our clients that don't have high brand recognition and where their primary spokespeople haven't been very vocal, we've never had an issue building thought leadership for their spokespeople in the press. And I I will go back to that, being able to tell a story and find something interesting if you're able to work with a, a spokesperson that's willing to go against the grain and say something bold and different, you will have much higher success rate. Yeah. Where we don't have a high success rate is when there's n- they're very risk averse yeah. and they are not willing to, and I'm not even saying be highly controversial or attach ourselves to you know, highly charged topics, but you know, in a world where everyone is praising, you know, maybe it's BI tools and everybody loves Tableau is how can we go in and say why companies should abandon traditional BI as we know it. Yeah. And you tend to refute that in the piece itself or in the conversation, but you have to be willing to get out there and say something bold 
And we've success successfully had you know, client quotes as part of trend stories alongside these huge brands. And compared to them, they have very low brand awareness, but we're able to offer interesting and different perspective. Um, so there's not a there's not a right or wrong time to start. You just have to start and understand with whether that's an internal comms person or using an agency. What are what's your perspective? What are you willing to talk about? What are the national narratives that are happening with or without you that you're comfortable attaching yourself to? And how are you going to add value to that conversation? And you can start to build from there. You can start in the trade press. Well, trade press wants to hear from everyone. Trust me. Yeah. Um, Garrett, I'm sure you've been reading Ad Age or Ad Week or wherever you get your news, the drum, and you will see a quote from someone or a contributed piece. And you're like, who the hell is that? Yeah. Or you're like, you know, look up their agency on LinkedIn. You're like, it's a 10 person agency yeah. with no clients I've ever heard of. Like, how are they being featured in this? Yeah. Because somebody took the time to pitch them and offer something interesting to say. Yep. No, I love Have that. You that before? No, of all the time. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like you, I mean, I did this, like, so I used to pitch 15 horrors a day when I started directing. There you go. I was work. everything. It was like, how do you, it was like, what are the ways to fix a bad table? I was like, use oh. pennies. I mean, I was, I was quoted everywhere and anywhere just because I was trying to build our authority. I wanted to rank and it worked by right. way. It was number one for SEO agency. And it, it, at the time it was a big driver of our growth. So yep. I'm a big fan of it for a lot of different reasons. I think the part I struggle with, and I know this has got to be the bane of your existence is how do we tie it back to revenue? in your mind? Like, yeah. how, how are you telling that narrative to your clients? Because I think a lot of marketers are like, yeah, Lindsay, I got to tell my story. You're right. I should create buzz. You're right. I should be more active. You're right. I shouldn't just go with the grain. If I want people to care about me, I have to have bold opinions. I'm a little scared by I agree. All that's great though. But at the end of the day, how do I tie back me getting quoted in ad week or me getting quoted in TechCrunch to pipeline to the things I'm being held accountable to as a CMO, right? What, what's that narrative that you help, you know, I think your clients tell yeah. the board themselves and others to get funding and to keep funding good PR. So I will start by reiterating a quote that I love, which is scaling revenue wins quarters and strong brands win categories. Oof. One, one can't exist without the other. There is no bottom of the funnel without the top. There is no top without the bottom. The funnel wouldn't exist. What we do, and this is just what we do, um, and it is cracks me up because it's very obvious and please other people can steal us if they want. Um, here's what traditionally happens. So CMO goes into their quarterly business report. They say here for all our marketing objectives for the quarter, here's all the levers that we pulled to meet them. Yeah. This is good job. And they say, oh yeah. And look, we also got press coverage. That's literally what happens. There's like this little cliff note there. And also, uh, also we're in this. Great. I was on three podcasts and they were like, okay. Right. And then you're like, Super. cool. Yeah. Super. Um, <laughs> what we do is at the beginning of our relationships and then subsequently each quarter, if they change is we say, what are CMO, your quarterly marketing objectives on which you're, you're being measured. They say, here they are. Awesome. We work off of OKR framework, so objectives and key results, where the objective is the client marketing objective, and then we build PR, KRs underneath that. So for, and, and what, why we do this is to help our CMO tie our work to business results. 
So if, for example, they say, well, one of my goals is to uh, increase organic traffic by 20%, yep. maybe that's one. The KRs under that for PR would sound like at least 50% of all coverage contains a backlink. The average domain authority on sites that we're securing coverage is 60 or higher. X percent of coverage that we secure contains the targeted keyword phrase, insert targeted keyword phrase for SEO. It becomes less about did we get coverage and more about are we securing coverage that's helping you reach your objectives. Yeah. So then, right, same quarterly business report you march in. Here's my objectives. PR is one of the levers that help you reach that one. Yeah, so it's not this it's, disjointed thing that you've accidentally right. devalued. Right. And you're like, I don't know why I don't have a budget for PR. It's like, well, you're acting as if your budget for PR doesn't matter. Right. And, and that's the yeah. narrative. Right? And, and, and if I make magic happen, I would tell I would tell CEOs to stop measuring the ROI friend. Stop trying to do it. Yeah. It is one of those areas of your spend that you can very rarely attribute any direct ROI, but if you get rid of it, everything else suffers. Yeah. It just why are we why are we why are we trying to figure out the direct ROI of it? We know we have to do it and we know that a strong brand, all things considered equal, is what wins. So stop trying to measure it. So what's this how do you get the stop start though? Because I think the real killer for you is the stop start. And what I mean by that is like in PR, I see it as a building blocks narrative that you need to be really consistent with over an extended period of time. And if you plant enough seeds, eventually you'll reap what you sow, right? Like kind of that mentality. And what I find, and this is very like true about indirect channels and marketing I found, is any types of change internally with your client, any type of market change, any type of financial instability, any type of anything, they pause their indirect channels. Mm -hmm. And then the second they realize that they've suffered from it, they turn them back on. And it's like this stop start kind of like thing that I know happens to me like on content marketing. So I'm sure it happens to you on PR. Yep. These are more indirect channels that people see as a nice to have, not a need to have. Yet mm -hmm. every time they stop doing them, they're like, oh my God, we need it. So how do you fight that narrative? Because I think that's a really big part of this. And like, how can we help marketers better understand how to be consistent through change? And maybe not marketers, executives, boards, because, you know, every time there's a new CMO, it's like stop, start, change. Sure. And then the brand goes down. Yeah. Um, I, I will ask that question or answer that question with a question. Would you ever advise a client to just go dark on social media because they're, they were cutting budget. No, never companies would never yeah, no. go silent on social media. So why would you ever, if you, again, if you have a well-oiled machine, no. why would you ever go silent on the PR front? Those that are paying attention to you, your competitors specifically and potentially investors, they'll notice. And, and it's not, if you never had, if you didn't have a PR strategy to begin with and you're silent anyway, it's fine, whatever. Uh, but it, it matters. And again, it goes back to that, like, well, it's, we're not attributing direct ROI to it. Well, guess what you're giving your competitors a chance to do? 
right? Is when they're on the phone and all things considered equal, they're going to say, yeah, you know, I used to see them everywhere too. They've gone quiet. It makes me wonder what's up with them. Yeah. No, I think it's such a, I think it's such a good point. And I, so let's take this from the other way of like the negative side to the positive. Who's the best in SAS at PR? Let's say, you know, non-client of yours, who do you look yeah. at and you're like, dang, I'm jealous. Like that's inspirational. Like those are the people I want to work with and what makes them great in your mind? Yeah, I would say Drift comes to mind immediately. And uh, I have uh, good contacts over there. Trisha Gelman is a newer CMO. And Drift has done a phenomenal job at alignment throughout the entire organization on who Drift is and what Drift stands for. That the experience, no matter what your experience is, if it's a customer, if it's a partner, if you're even speaking at a one on one of their webinars, the experience that you have from start to finish with a SDR all the way through to a conversation with the CEO, your experience is the same. And they have also reflected that certainly externally, but that is a cohesive message. You talk about a strong narrative and, and pushing the same, like everyone there whether it's true or like genuine or not seems to drink the drift Kool-Aid. They have internal evangelists that when they are featured or when they have a, you know, if their CEOs featured, everyone shares it and talks about it and evangelizes it. And that is part of what makes their brand one of the best brands and the strongest one out there. And when you ask people, who do you want to emulate? Oh, I'd love to be more like drift. We love it. Right. Uh, How do you measure, though? I guarantee that they are not sitting in a board meeting talking about how we're measuring the strength of our brand and all of our brand spend. Because what are we going to do to change it? If we can't attribute a direct ROI, we can just screw up the brand and try something new. No, because it's working. Um, So they they are definitely an example that comes to mind um, that is not a client of ours. No, I love that. I think now we have one more piece of sour candy. Are you ready? Yeah, do I? I'm gonna switch to a warhead now. I yeah, will say this: uh, the toxic waste was terrible, and then it got sweet, and it was good. I kept waiting for another wave of the terribleness, and it was okay. I'm not gonna do apple. I do not like fake apple flavored things. I'm gonna go with the warhead watermelon extreme sour. Side note for everyone who tunes into this show: I'm allergic to melons, so I never. Wild melon stuff wild i've never known someone who has been allergic to melon what I, do you yeah. know what it, what's in it what is it that what they're allergic to i don't know i'm like not very good about that kind of stuff in my life oh, i don't like it i, just I don't tongue. like it garrett it's horrible i'm like it's like only so much worse oh no i know now Mm-mm. Mm-mm. what's a better thing and this is mostly clients you probably don't even work with like pre-series a seed rounded companies just mm-hmm. building in public i like to call it bragging in public um is there a better way to share our organizations than just doing this building in public thing that everybody seems to retweet yet as you um grow as an executive you find yourself further and further from those types of humans and you realize those types of humans that you're collecting and you're building in public are rarely the same ones you monetize or the ones that fit your either internal hiring goals or your external client goals. So I find this building in public thing to not actually be that wise because I haven't found like the right clients or the right hires are motivated by that. So like, 
what can companies do instead? Am I missing something here? Am I crazy? Like what, what's your take on this building in public and uh, how can we maybe do it better or different? Um, I'm actually not familiar with the phrase building in public. Okay. Um, can you unpack that a little bit more for me? Yeah. So what people love to do on social media, especially founders, is they'll do this like share their company. So Buffer, for example, kind of pioneered this. So Buffer will share like how much revenue they made this month with the entire world. They'll be sharing like this is our growth. You know, here's some of the struggles we're encountering. And they kind of like build this very fake narrative that they're 100% in control of, of their brand on social media. And then the goal is, is that you see it and you're inspired by it mm -hmm. and you want to join them or be a part of it. It's kind of like an open, it's like opening up the book into your organization. Yeah. It's like if Barstool did it around money instead of like creative talent. In other words, Barstool's doing it because they're a talent company that tries to make their talent their content. Mm -hmm. These people are doing it because they're trying to make their company into like this inside view of it to like get sure. uh, it's a PR strategy. In all yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, it's an interesting one. I get it—the culture of transparency—and I'm, you know, I'm I'm all for a love of transparency. Uh, you know, we we share our financial health with our agency every quarter. Um, but not, we, we share enough so they understand, um, how we're doing. Uh, but so I understand that the interesting thing is though, when it comes time for a funding announcement, uh, they won't share revenue. So we'll, you know, get those, okay, I'll go, we got a series B, whatever, Tuesday. We're like, okay, cool. Um, and we know they don't, but we go, well, you know, certainly editor will always ask, by the way, they will always ask for uh, revenue. They will always ask for valuation. Uh, you are not required to give any of those. Uh, you have a better chance of uh, story to do. But then you get to that point, they're like, oh, we're not sharing revenue. I'm like, well, literally like a year ago, though, this is where you were. So they could probably do some backwards math. Um, but from a true startup standpoint, we get approached with a lot of startups. Yeah. And we say no to most of them. And here's why. I would say PR, you are best served as a true startup investing in PR on a project basis to amplify your big moments. So yeah. if you have a new CEO that is well-known or that even if they're not well-known, your local press, your trade press will We'll pick that up. Um, do project work around certainly a funding announcement, maybe a new product announcement um, to get some firepower behind that. It does not make sense for you as a startup to invest long term in PR yet. If PR is going to be your largest marketing line item spend per month, you are not ready for PR. Yeah. Here's why. As the marketing lead, as much as you might believe in PR and say brand, 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 trust me, your CEO every 90 days will say, well, how many leads has it brought us? Yeah, it's the same game. And you're going to say, well, it looks like based on analytics, it was three marketing qualified leads. You will have this conversation every month, if not every quarter. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't end. It's a six month engagement or whatever it is. And, and we're done. Um, that money is much better spent long-term 
into demand. I, I always say if, if what you need is leads, which I will question because do you need leads or do you need customers? You can go out and buy just really shitty leads. But if you're looking for, if you need more leads, don't invest in PR. If what you need is more qualified leads, once they get to you through your other channels, PR can certainly assist with that. I love that. No, that's such great nuance, Lindsay. And this has been an amazing time together. For anyone who wants to learn more about what you're doing, follow along with your story, um, Blast Media, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can hit me up on LinkedIn or go to our website, which is just blastmedia.com. Uh, I also host a podcast called SaaS Half Full that is designed for B2B SaaS marketers. So um, give a listen there. If you're interested in being a guest, you can hit me up there as well. But this has been awesome. It was not too painful. Um, they were both pretty terrible. I would say the toxic waste was the worst. It is. And I've just had my second one. It is just getting worse. It's yeah. Crazy. It yeah. was bad. Well, Lindsay, you made it through the show. Sour and SaaS. Yes. That's an episode. Thank you so much, everybody. And uh, see you next week. Thanks, Bye. Garrett.